Welcome back to Pounding the Table, brought to you in part by StockTwits, our favorite place each week to get a pulse of the markets and hear what everyone is saying about our favorite stock and ticker symbols on crypto as well. We have a very special episode this week where we have the opportunity to sit down and interview the founder of Solana Blockchain themselves, Mr. Anatoly Yakovenko. Or to say you simply flooded the system with money. Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money. 600000 doesn't seem like that much to possibly lose. Why do you care about getting your money back? My mother taught me something. If you ever disrespect money, you won't have any. It's karma. I, every dollar I make, I kill myself to make it, and I don't want to lose it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pounding the Table. We are joined today here by Anatoly Yakovenko, co-founder of Solana Blockchain. After talking about Solana Phone over the past few episodes, you know, we had to bring the co-founder on to set the record straight, really fully understand not only what Solana is, uh, but what the plans are for the phone and for the blockchain overall. So before we jump in, though, Anatoly, you know, wanted to give our audience a chance to get a little bit better understanding of your specific background, kind of what inspired you to build Solana. I went to Indiana, so I'm a fellow Big Ten alumni. I saw you went to Illinois. And then I saw your kind of past engineering roles. You spent about 12 years here at Qualcomm. I had a short stint over at Dropbox. So I'd love to hear, I don't know if there was any influence from your career prior to Solana or just really any influences you had along the way to inspire you to build Solana. Yeah. um, Thank you for having me. Definitely uh, love to dive in. So as you mentioned, you know, I spent most of my career at Qualcomm. I'm, I'm an engineer. I was there really as a IC, you know, individual contributor, just working on almost from day one on optimizations. Like I went to Illinois, I had a startup with some friends that was doing voice over IP. And this is 99 to 2003 time. We saw the dot-com crash and we were trying to build uh, like automation for phones. Mm. And if we had any sense, we would have gone to Silicon Valley and pitched it as what eventually became Grand Central Dispatch and, and Google Voice. But we were trying to bootstrap it locally in Illinois after the crash and uh, <laughs> that didn't work out. But I learned a ton, ended up being hired by Welcome. was there like optimizing stuff from like push to talk in those early days. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys even remember that. <laughs> to my last project, the tech I was working on was like, being used to optimize like Project Tango augmented reality, the first Google augmented reality device. I think the first augmented reality device period mm-hmm. in a mobile handset. So I kind of saw the evolution of hardware from these like two megabyte dinky flip phones to here's a supercomputer in the palm of your hand and it can like modify what you see from the real world and, and make it magic. <laughs> so that was uh, a ton of fun and and like, I loved my experiences where I got to build platforms like for devs. So mm-hmm. I was uh, one of the early brew developers, worked on the kernel, built a ton of libraries and then like things for devs. The project that was working on that was being used for Project Tango also was a developer platform, but for DSPs, we were trying to open up all this unused area of silicon that Qualcomm built mm-hmm. for general purpose development. Um, and when I saw Ethereum pop up and really started paying attention to it in 2017, 
I saw it as a new developer platform, new way for devs to build new kinds of applications. Mm -hmm. And that's what really got me into like, just like kind of nudged me into thinking about like, how would I do this? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, as the legend goes, I had two coffees and a beer and I had this eureka moment that there's a way to encode passage of time as data. And I had this like really high level idea that I think the stuff that we worked on at Qualcomm, even though it was working on wireless protocols, but all of them use time as a, as a way to, uh, to manage mm. communication across the network. I think all those technologies probably apply to this. It's <laughs> so right. just like a really high level gut feeling and, um, ended up starting Solana. I got, um, a lot of the early employees, co-founders, first folks that we hired were super senior folks at a Qualcomm, like people that were compiler experts, GPU experts, like platform builders. My, one of my, basically one of my bosses, my managers was like my manager for most of my career. There was our first, you know, first or second hire, if you want to call it that. Um, so that was, uh, like super fun experience. Cause I was, you know, even from my early days in college, I, always had a side project that I was working on that I always had a dream. Okay. If I figure this out, this is going to be my, my company, right? My thing. And this is the first one that actually had any legs. And like, just, you could see how fast, uh, we were building and how fast we were solving relevant problems and like just things all, all came together. Real quick, uh, Tony, I know you're going to jump into some deeper questions, but Coming off of that, what challenges did you face along the way? And there's so many different chains out there, but you guys have done a phenomenal job of breaking through, you know, to, to being one of the top coins that people think about, right? And so there had to have been some struggles and, and some marketing that you had. Oh, to get oh absolutely. Like, I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, our all a bunch of competitors at that time raised hundred million dollar rounds. We barely got together three million as a seed round and then uh had like i think about 13 something as a as a series a or whatever and people were like how are you going to compete with all these big companies that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars um how are you going to compete with these projects led by tenured professors but turing awards <laughs> like you guys have never worked in blockchain or whatever so there's a lot of a lot of naysayers and a lot of backlash, but I think our experience at Qualcomm and building networks, I, I don't know, retrospect to me, it's obvious. Uh, LTE, CDMA, these networks handle, handle billions of users. They are attacked by state actors like all the time. <laughs> the device that we build, the chip, can't trust the operating system. Like we can't trust Google, we can't trust TSMC. Like we have to design things with really robust security practices. It was like, I think out of everyone's experience, it came into crypto. I think working in mobile, especially at that low level, mm. um, was probably the most uh, like relevant experience anyone could have. So a lot of like overcoming skepticism because our claims were pretty far out there, but we started proving them pretty early on. We had, um, like people didn't believe that you could handle that many signatures per second or you could process the many transfers and stuff. And, uh, you know, folks from the, like Vitalik wrote that classical consensus, like BFT 
can't scale beyond a few hundred nodes. So when I'm like on paper showing, look, this, if you add cores and do you have this much bandwidth, then it should handle 10,000 nodes, no problem, <laughs> right? That's just, it was hard for people to, to put those pieces together, but there were enough people in venture and like folks that took us seriously to make a go of it. And, uh, we were right on basically on a ton of, a ton of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just going off of the, uh, the whole thought of so much competition out there. I mean, there's what I think 10,000 cryptos now in existence and number goes up and down depending on the market these days. Like Solana as a chain itself is one of those that did break through. And I think that the first conversation to have before really getting into it is just, is this a multi-chain future? And I think that obviously you guys as like one of the bigger chains, that's not, you know, ETH or Bitcoin, that gives credence to that notion that it's going to be a very significant multi-chain future. At least three, maybe. I don't know. At least three. <laughs> I think this is like, a, what is what does it mean to be multi-chain? Is, are you thinking for market cap or transactions? Because we could live in a world where there could be a bunch of chains with high market cap, but 95% of the transactions all run on Solana. Right. Yeah. I could see that. I was more so just thinking like, is there going to be you know, maybe a series of 10 or 20 or 30 coins that get into a big price range that all do different things, right? Like I know Bitcoin means one thing for someone and Ethereum's got gas fees. So of course there's going to be competitors when you can cut rates and allow for faster transactions. So stuff like that is, is more where I'm thinking. And those are like, I think really interesting questions because they kind of go down to the heart of what is crypto. And to a lot of folks that have listened to me, I look at the network that we're building, it's a communications network. It's, it's sending a cryptographically signed message to all the participants around the world and guaranteeing that it arrives to everyone around the world. And that's a very kind of, uh, I look at it as like, it's like a packet switch network just does re re redundant replication. <laughs> it's pretty boring, right? And what it does. Um, and it's not, I don't think of it as a financial, monetary, like revolutionary thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe those narratives are enough to build a multi-chain world simply because people are really, really young, like really want to believe that Bitcoin is this idea of stored value. And, you know, Ethereum is like an ultrasound money thing. You could definitely see that. Yeah. And I know that this just kind of leads into the conversation of decentralization as, as one of the big reasons, and if not the biggest driver of crypto in general. Right. And, and I know that uh, a lot of people who I uh, speak in the crypto community with, you know, they they look at Ethereum and they've been recently looking at Solana much more, especially with OpenSea's addition of like, NFTs there and just that the Magic Eden round and all those things that are just really bullish for Solana in general. But uh, I think for the success of that decentralization, right now you guys are finally crossing, I believe, over half the number of nodes um, that Ethereum has, right? So a lot of people have been saying that, you know, a lot of the transactions done are 60, 70, 80% done internally. Um, and that's just kind of becoming a really big point right now that you guys are finally past that like halfway mark and, and really getting to that yeah. upper echelon of chains. Yeah. There's two kind of two things. So my, my belief is that decentralization is a lagging thing. You actually have users first that need to use the chain and because they need to use it, they start running nodes. Mm -hmm. It's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe they use it because they're paranoid about financial things and they treat their Bitcoin like gold, right? And they really want to make sure that it's secure. So they run nodes, right? And mm -hmm. that's a, that's a use case. 
And same thing for DeFi and stuff like that. And what you see in Solana is that the number of boxes that run Solana, a large portion of them, I think close to half, are driven by applications like folks like Magic Eden, from folks like big ones that you heard of, Phantom Magic Eden, they run nodes, to small uh, NFT projects that have a governance dashboard. They want to provide a high like service, high guarantee that they're all their you know, assets are loaded and RPCs were great. They also run nodes. Mm-hmm. So that's means to me that there's like an extrinsic reason for this network to survive. Somebody's actually like needs this data, right? They need this data available. They need these transactions to land. And that's really, really important because what really like fundamental point of decentralization is if there's a catastrophic attack, people start cutting internet cables, yeah. Yellowstone blows up, right? Like... Uh, Russia nukes AWS. <laughs> that if as long as one copy, one of these boxes survives, yeah. then we can recover. And to have that box survive, you need somebody to care for it, somebody to keep it updated, keep it on mm-hmm. sync. And businesses that depend on on the chain are like a the prime candidate to do that because mm-hmm. their users will immediately complain, "Hey, this thing is down. My my oh, requests are failing." <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> having, having that constant like demand is, is actually like really, really important. So I think for, so how we've been really focusing on it is we, as a user of the chain, we build products like Saga. We want the chain to be cheaper, faster, and more reliable. Mm-hmm. So all the changes, everything else that like folks do analysis and like try to improve the network. These are all basically driven by those three things. Is it, can we make it cheaper? Can we somehow make it faster, more reliable? And that, and that drives users, right? That drives a better experience and that drives decentralization because people run more boxes because they need that data. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty, pretty simple, I think, concept at the end of it. But I think people often get lost in the, the meaning and then like kind <laughs> of the, the fantasy of decentralization and almost like, what does it, what does it mean to you? <laughs> right. They're hoping they're going to go into RuneScape soon and just, that's going to be the world yeah, around them. Right. Well, you just stole my, my answer for my next question. I was kind of going down that route, but, uh, no, I think you brought up a, a really good point though. It was the first podcast that I had listened to that really kind of clicked for me of why crypto is valuable and important. Like in the U S you know, more or less we trust our banking system and things run relatively smoothly. And now that I'm working on more of the institutional side of crypto, I see the value, even something as simple as like remittance, you know, how much cheaper and faster you're talking about that money shouldn't be that expensive to move money, right? As silly as that sounds, but some of those other things you just mentioned, Saga, there's this notion of, of course, of, of Moore's law. So, you know, is there other things that you guys are, are looking at right now to continue to move faster and more efficient beyond the Saga, which you just mentioned? In terms of scalability like basically it's we you can go go grab like a dual core epic 7702 system dual dual socket one that's 128 cores and test it and that thing can benchmark to like half a million transactions per second (laughs) (laughs) so so, but that's a very very expensive box Mm -hmm. and like Deploying that to 10,000 validators is very expensive because you don't need that load right now, right? You don't need that capacity. So there's a bit of like, can we get enough users and usage on the network 
And does the cost of the hardware get lower and lower to the point where validators start upgrading it? Um, and that's kind of slowly happening, but these are multi-year processes. Like the hardware upgrade cycle is every two years. Um, so we're like kind of going through, I think the, we went through an upgrade cycle, like when we launched, bumped up all the requirements. I think probably next year you'll start seeing folks talking about, okay, we need more cores, more capacity across the network and we'll see what happened. Uh, there's also, um, just we've seen like development across pretty simple data structures, uh, got become really, really mature. So there's a project being built for NFTs and tokens to merkelize and store them effectively in the ledger history, as opposed to in the state. If folks are technical enough to, to understand like state growth is like the biggest threat to Ethereum and that's mm -hmm. the size of the memory that is computationally available to smart contracts on demand. So merkelizing a bunch of that state and making it available across, uh, like in the ledger instead, uh, reduces the cost and reduces the state, but allows you to have like mints with 10 million users, right? So you can mint directly <laughs> to 10 million. <laughs> you can Unheard start, of. right. You can start building things where every, like you have a Minecraft style game and every block is its own NFT and things like that. Um, because the amount of state that it's stored on chain is really, really small. So things like that, I think are pretty interesting and we'll see where they go. Mm -hmm. Um, and the only thing that we really need to make sure is that the network keeps getting faster with every release with every hardware cycle, mm -hmm. but like us and like all the other users of this, like, and contributors to the code base, they all want the same thing. These are like kind of the non, like it's almost downhill now because we've all agreed on how we're going to get there and what the work needs to be. And it's just the process, open source development process that you see on Linux, you do a lot of analysis, identifying like the bottlenecks and then fixing them and making better and better releases. Right. So improving the, uh, the hardware and the software, but how do you really get out to more people? So I know that there's a Nakamoto coefficient, right? You want to be as decentralized as, as, as possible. So how do you get about doing that in the most efficient and successful manner? So the Nakamoto coefficient, uh, really impacts liveness and this is not liveness forever in the catastrophic failure case, right? Like Russia nukes AWS or whatever, or a Yellowstone blows up. You expect the Nakamoto coefficient to be destroyed as well. You only need one box there to provide the history and to recover the entire thing. And that obviously takes, um, users like validators to come together and figure out how to do that. But to, to prevent the risk of that, make the, the probability of that as low as possible, you want the highest Nakamoto coefficient that you can get. And that's a really tough problem because. Generally, the way people stake is they look at like the top five validators and they kind of pick at random and the mm -hmm. stakes are very sticky. Mm -hmm. They kind of stake to those nodes only. So how do you dislodge that? Um, bunch of efforts there. Like some are coming in from our partners, like folks like Copper, Fireblocks. These are institutional custodians. They can start providing support for stake pools. That means that those big like token holders that are institutional based can then deposit their tokens in a stake pool and then mm -hmm. spread it out across the network. And we're seeing stake pool adoption kind of start penetrating across DeFi because stake soul 
is now an asset that's movable and, and uh, tokenized and can move into pools and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this is like a slow process. So it'll take, I think, education and people to understand that when they do that, they improve decentralization, the Nakamoto coefficient, but it, it definitely takes time. But as far as does it work or not, our test net where, you know, we can control the stake distribution, um, that thing has 3,000 nodes and a Nakamoto coefficient over like 600, which is, I think, the highest in the world, like of any network. Yeah. And network runs fine. Like we see that everything that we thought was going to be stable and work still works even at that, at that scale. So let, let's switch gears here just a little bit. I know Tony just mentioned Magic Eden. Uh, so an NFT marketplace just got a valuation of 1.6 billion, right? And what we call somewhat of a bear market, right? I don't know if it's a full-on crypto winter, but nonetheless, it's, it shows that there's some validation there that they believe in this, right? Long-term. And so NFTs obviously had that huge uproar where everyone you know, seemed to be talking about NFTs and then one week, they're no longer around, right? Now they're starting to see like a comeback. And I have, you know, I have a few that Tony kind of introduced me to, and he, he's been a huge fan. This is not just, you know, him saying this, he's been a pound in the table really on, on Solana for quite some time. So he got me into Magic Eden and I've started to see NFTs slowly start to come back and being again on the institutional side, I had to go beyond just pictures of cats and things like that, right? I'd love just your, your take overall on where NFTs can go, because I think people really need to start realizing that it's beyond just a cartoon necessarily. There can be smart contracts involved with real estate. There can be so many different things. I think despite like the, what we saw, which was really surprising is that despite like the macro downturn in crypto, user like transactions and, and things like Magic Eden and Solana NFT platforms started growing actually. So we saw like, especially when you kind of contrast it to Ethereum, the behavior of Solana users is that they transact way more often with their NFTs, like five to 10 times more often than they do on Ethereum. That's obvious because it's cheaper, right? right? And that actually meant that like retention is higher and more users are entering the ecosystem. So volumes on Magic Eden are lower than OpenSea, I think by a factor of like, five or something like that. But Mm -hmm. when you look at like day-to-day volumes, it's like three, two to three million, which comes down to like 60, 70 million per month, which is insane. Like Mm -hmm. that's a lot of money. (laughs) It's just a big volume. Yeah. And this is like today, right? Not during the crypto boom or anything like that. And this is a web company that is making tremendous amount of profit without touching the Google ad stack or the Facebook ad stack. There's no mm-hmm. ad exchange there. There's no SaaS subscription, right. <laughs> right? This is, this is a web three company that's making large revenue completely in the web three world, totally separated from web two. And that to me means that this is actually like has legs and, um, it's interesting. And I think it's going to transform how IPs developed, how brands are built. I think the next Marvel, the next Disney yeah. is going to be built out of these NFTs, like experiences and sets. Mm. And that's pretty exciting. I think every artist, every like storyteller, every creator that is thinking about like, how do I break out on my own instead of working for whatever Disney or EA, they, this is like the time to do it and the place to do it. You have all the tools and there's like, plenty of revenue, right? It's not a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. So I think 
that is kind of really, really exciting and interesting. And how that plays out in terms of where these things integrate with governance, smart contracts, mm-hmm. gaming environments, um, I think is still open-ended. And I can see it going and start separating into things that are totally brand specific, like yeah. somebody building the next Hello Kitty, right? Maybe not as involved in the smart contract side, but mm-hmm. like a project like Biomes is building a full Minecraft where every item yeah. is an NFT. There's going to be a lot more smart contracts there and a lot more interactions between the user and the chain. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of those things, that, uh, you know, under the hood are very, very simple data structure that's just the ownership of which is tracked on chain, like a very, very simple, dumb NFT entry. Right. Um, that's, it, it's pretty cool, right? It, it, <laughs> I did not expect this at all. It, it is funny because, you know, I joke that, you know, it's just a picture of a, a cat, right? And I think that some people, like the naysayers of NFTs, they don't really fully understand, again, where it can go. And I was a naysayer, to be honest. And, and Tony kind of slowly but surely <laughs> converted me over understanding I was in New York. I had access to go into a Dead Fellows concert. And then there was, uh, what's the other one I went to? Board Ape. Yeah. Board Ape. I should know that one. Board Ape, right? And, and so you kind of start to see, and it's really building the community where there's something of value behind it. I think a lot of these artists and entertainers are going to be able to have NFTs, you know, and be able to gain access to go backstage, to go to new concerts and things like that. Taking it a step further again, like with smart contracts for real estate. So it is definitely much more than just cartoons that people sometimes poke fun at, but any new technology, you kind of need to start small and start to grow over time and it snowballs and you start to see where it actually goes to. We definitely have to talk about this Lana phone. You know, when, when Tony first mentioned it to me, my first thing that popped in my head and thinking probably too literal here is, you know, how can you compete with an Apple? How can you compete with Androids? They have billions and billions of dollars behind them. Many connections globally, of course, as well. And so Tony kept saying, it's not about the phone. And I'm like, well, we're talking about the phone. So it has to be about the phone, right? <laughs> and, you know, I was just giving him shit going back and forth, of course. But I'd love to hear now that understanding your Qualcomm background and, and experience in that space, where it's going, what, where it's at today, anything you can share around, you know, release. And I don't give too much away here, but uh, whatever you feel comfortable with sharing there, I'd love to, to dig in. Yeah. So... It's both. It's not about the phone and it's about the phone. <laughs> you listen. <laughs> I think it's really, it's really, really hard to build a new phone. Like just really, really hard. Um, uh, but it's much, much cheaper today than it ever was. So I like, you know, when the Amazon Fire launched, I, I had to work on that. When the QNX devices launched, I had to work on those WebOS ones, whatever, like the Windows Metro phone. Those are all great pieces of hardware built by amazing companies that all failed commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I think the reason why is because they're really, really trying to break out to general consumers. And the opportunity with crypto is that you now have a new consumer base, crypto people, mm-hmm. it's weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they have special needs <laughs> and you need, and the needs that they have is like a really, really hard to for to understand for normal consumer behavior because they need really secure cryptographic signing. Normal consumers don't need that, right? So there's an opportunity there to build a device that makes that signing experience, custody, the integration between that and the applications and the rest of the world through like, Mm -hmm. you know, even like tap to pay payments, a delightful, awesome experience. And if we succeed there and we have, you know, 50,000 
dedicated Web3 users that love this device, that's a better distribution channel for devs mm -hmm. than the big app stores. And I always think of it from the devs perspective. How do we unblock devs to, to build whatever it is that they want to do with Web3, to do it in mobile? And this is the way to do it. We give them a we give them awesome users that love Web3, that have an amazing secure experience, assigned transactions, and an app store that's extremely Web3 friendly. And now devs build awesome products. Those products are so good that people actually go buy the device for that. That's how we win. That this is when I'll know that we have something is that when a developer ships an app that somebody goes out and say, okay, I'm going to buy the stupid phone because I want that application. And that's really, really tough, but somebody has to do it because Web3 in some ways does threaten how the web is monetized in the world today. Like when you look at user generated, like truly user owned digital content, not, not the idea of ownership from when you buy a movie on Amazon, buy to own, you don't actually own it. It's a rental that may never expire until Amazon says we're no longer supporting that device or whatever, <laughs> right? So when you own that NFT or that digital content and you sell it, Magic Keaton cannot charge their users 20% more to buy that thing or 30% more through their app, right? They can't eat the cost of that 20, 30% digital purchase themselves either because that's astronomical, right? That's, yeah. you know, at their scale, that would be a million dollars a day, right? Like just eat, eating into that cost. So the business models, how those app stores monetize and have to change. And that's a really long process. And the only way that happens at Google and Apple is if we get enough traction to where they see that this is the way the wind is blowing and they actually make those changes. And I'm sure they will eventually, but somebody actually has to like kind of poke the bear, you know, mm -hmm. like to start it. So my, my goal with this device is that, you know, 50,000 awesome dedicated with three users, which is not a lot for a phone, like Amazon fire though, that's a failure, right? Windows Metro, that's a failure. It's basically a failure for any big launch, but that's a huge success for crypto. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge success for developers. I love that. I, th I think what you said there in the beginning was, you know, those other devices fail because they're trying to do the exact same thing that's been happening, you know, and so there's nothing really differentiating, whereas this is really purely focused on the, the weirdos of the world, you know, like like me and Tony here that, <laughs> uh, you know, are crypto fanatics and, and view the world through a different lens. I was actually explaining, you know, just move. I, I came from marketing technology for years. And so just coming into this world now with crypto. It's fascinating. The, the people, it reminds me of how startups used to be where people would get like really excited about it. They wanted to build constantly. And like that sort of went away. I noticed as like agency folks started to come into the startup world, you know, corporate people that were used to climbing the corporate ladder and it, the, the excitement started to phase out. And I notice it again now that I'm in the crypto world where those individuals now all went to crypto and the excitement, the speed, you know, mm -hmm. constantly changing, dealing with the regulations, like for someone with ADHD like myself, it, it's a perfect fit because every single day is something new, right? Um, and, and as yeah. I mentioned, with with regulations, you're always, you're always doing three things while yeah. shit posting <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. So I guess real quickly touching on on some from a very high level, of course. But um, you know, how how do folks like yourself and and uh, Vitalik and and kind of the leaders within crypto? 
Is there, you know, groups, are you guys working really closely with some of the regulators and are you guys, as you guys are building things out, kind of touching base along the way? Because that is as well as constantly moving and they're still trying to figure, you know, all those pieces out, of course. It's actually like not super close, just to be honest. I think Mm -hmm. we, there's like a couple groups like the blockchain association and stuff that tries to reach out. And I see progress, like the Loomis bill that proposes that, like how tokens should be treated and the CFTC can take over. And like, I see that as really early good signs that like in the nineties internet, they, you know, took Congress like eight years to figure out how to pass the digital millennium copyright act. Mm -hmm. And it was halfway broken, but it actually got done. And, you know, Google and everyone else was able to, to thrive and build. And I think. In the US, like I'm pretty bullish on that happening simply because government doesn't want to like see a whole economy spring up that's like outside of whatever, like uh, outside of their structures, right? It's bad. <laughs> like it's either they close it off in the US and moves outside of the US, which is obvious to everyone that that right. would happen, or they do something stupid and kill it, right? Like through red tape. And nobody really, I think, genuinely like, the folks that I talk to that have had like conversations with in government, they all want the stuff to succeed and to succeed in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that they move is uh, much, much slower than even academia, right? Like they right. move slower than, <laughs> than universities. And yeah, but it'll happen eventually. Um, I think it's really, really hard for startup founders um, to, to like thread that needle um, mm-hmm. and I would highly recommend that, like, especially if they're building on Solana, we have our own own internal council that can happy, happy to provide like advice or, you know, whatever, however you're thinking of your, of your strategy to launch and uh, help you wade through some of those issues. But like, more or less, it's not like we haven't really seen crypto slow down because of that. You still Mm -hmm. see people leave Facebook, leave Google as engineers leave these high paying jobs and go start companies in crypto. Yeah. I think that's the, the thing that with regulations, they have to kind of tiptoe on because you can't over-regulate because that stifles innovation then. And, you know, as we were just talking about, like the way I look at it, you know, I saw a great interview with Mr. Wonderful. So Kevin O'Leary was talking about crypto. It took him a while to start to, to like crypto. And once you viewed it through the lens of a technology versus, you know, make-believe coins as, as, you know, the naysayers sometimes say, that like really triggered for me. And I started really thinking it through that lens. And it, it really is like pets.com, for example, that didn't work out. Amazon did, you know, Google did. So there's, you know, and we've seen it already in crypto where some, you know, have fallen off and some have been, you know, eventually get regulated out. But I think you guys are well positioned here, you know, being in one of the top coins. We just mentioned, you know, Amazon phones and Google, obviously with, with Android has, has taken off quite a bit now competing against Android. Again, you guys are, are taking a different positioning within the phone, but focusing on the ad side of things, right? Google's, I think they're still 90 plus percent of the revenue comes from ads, right? Are they going to look at you guys as a, as a massive competitor and are, you know, how fearful is Google around web three? I think what they should see is that for the first time in Android's history, people are actually tweeting that they're willing to switch from iOS to Android 
and or get a second device as an Android device that has never happened before, I think, okay. in Android's history. So <laughs> that should hopefully open some eyes there at, at like at Google and for people to realize that crypto users are passionate enough to where this is so important to their identity that they're willing to maybe give up the the Apple like ecosystem. And that's a really, really big signal. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the numbers are big enough yet to where it matters, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, like basically like the total number of humans that actually sign cryptographic transactions on a monthly basis, like using MetaMask, Fan, or whatever, is still pretty small. It's probably 10 million-ish, like mm -hmm. all together, like combined on all the networks. Yeah. And that that's not enough for... That's like Internet 95, how many people <laughs> were, were clicking links and knew that they went to a different website. <laughs> it's just, it's going to take some human time, like time frames for mental models to change, for people mm -hmm. to understand this stuff, understand self-custody and, and yeah. like own, real digital ownership. And when that happens, you should start seeing those numbers go to like 100 million, 200 million. That, this is, I think, when obviously Google and Apple will actually make... Yeah. make a change but well and, and that's happening pretty early i was just gonna say that you know i i'm seeing it too on on you know people are still building right now you know and, and a lot of the apps that are being built are to demystify crypto right so if i try to explain crypto to my parents you have to go to metamask and you know if you get to DeFi, you got to go to sushi swap or you know it it, it sounds <laughs> insane you know to a lot of people but a lot of these apps are just making it you know crypto more ubiquitous in the sense of the ease of pressing buy or pressing sell, right? All the back end stuff is happening still. You know, that magic is still happening on the back end. But for a consumer, you know, a lot of those steps along the way are happening now in the back end where the, the user interface is going to be much easier and simple to use. So I'm excited to see, you know, you know, not to, to wrap here up totally on the phone, but you know, I'm excited to see where this goes. And and I like the starting small approach, really getting that those really strong users. And have it grow organically. I think those are the most successful businesses typically. What um, I don't know if, if the release date or you know if, if you've leaked any of that information out right now in terms of when that should be kind of out for people. Yeah, so Q1 23 is should be out for the general public, but you can go to SolanaMobile.com and pre-order phones right now. Uh, the first kind of four thousand devices that are um, pre-cert. These are like basically dev kits. Um, everyone is working their ass off to make sure they're available for breakpoint, like first week in November. So I'm, I'm really hoping that we can hit those timelines and that would be awesome. And that goes right into what I wanted to ask just about XNFTs, because I've been seeing that all over my timeline. Really, I think since the phone announcement came, the entire Solana community started just using that as the big buzzword all over the place. So, you know, I think just for a lot of people who don't necessarily know what it is, you can kind of think of it like an app in an app store. And so yeah. I wonder if, if that's going to be the way that so many more people come in just because, you know, gaming is much bigger on the phone than it is on a desktop, for example. And so the same people who love crypto are the same people who like to sit up till 4 a.m. playing some RPG game. Uh, so I think that's a really cool angle as well, if you wanted to touch on that as well. Yeah, so XNFTs, this was a Armani creation, um, basically... Him and um, yeah, he started a company called Coral, and him and Tristan, and it's uh, 
kind of like a wallet, but an application based wallet where you can load apps and those apps are X NFTs, X being executable. And uh, the way that the Solana Saga DApp Store is designed is to be able to load those X NFTs natively as an application. So you kind of get potentially like your X NFT app that's in your backpack wallet and your like extension should also show up on your Saga device. And that'd be pretty cool. Um, then what those things can be, right? Like, I think people should really try to experiment and build, build some cool shit with them. Like one messaging, I think like, obviously I want like, I want people to try to just build an AOL instant messenger right? with, uh, with a, <laughs> away messages, <laughs> but that, and also like things like Flappy Bird, like really simple, like games that you can play and things like that. Right now is like the time to like see what user experiences make sense in that context and then take it from there. Definitely. Yeah. And I figure with all this drive towards bringing people on and, and growing that decentralization overall, I'm sure that you guys might face a lot of uh, issues with congestion potentially in the future. And I know that you guys just went through an upgrade and, and I'm pretty active on Magic Eden and Radium and all these sites. And I've just noticed it myself. It's like so much better. It's, it's infinitely yeah, better. So, man. It's so hard being a L1 dev. It's it's as close to being as a hardware engineer as you can get. Like, cause once you tape out your chip and there's bugs in it, you're just like, you, you can't do anything. Like, you gotta go and like tape out another version. And it's very similar. Like if there's a release that we know has problems and there's a next release fixes them, you still have to go through full testing, full audits, verification. And once you upgrade, then you see like that work, like actually take effect. And you don't often know, there's a lot of uncertainty whether the fixes that we made are going to work because the analysis is really hard. It's really hard mm -hmm. to simulate those exact same things. But one to 10 has been fixed a bunch of congestion problems. And it has a bunch of technologies that haven't even been rolled out yet to make sure that oh, awesome. we have that like stability, even under extreme loads. So quick. QoS by Stakeweight and um, really cool innovation. The way Solana works is it's able to separate the state. So we're able to have localized fee markets. So if you have a really spicy NFT mint that's getting a lot of traction, that one single NFT mint may see fees increase for prioritization, but that's not going to touch your normal NFT purchase of Magic Eaton awesome. or your Solana Pay transaction or, you know, whatever serum market transactions. So making that isolated um, is a very, very actually I think big deal for crypto and underappreciated because it really demonstrates that it is possible for a single L1 to be a single L1 for the entire world mm -hmm. if it has enough, <laughs> if it has enough hardware behind it. Uh, so it's, uh, it's underappreciated, but we'll see in the five, 10 year timeline if that's the world that we end up in. Yeah. What, what are you guys doing to continue to grow, you know, the Solana community, whether that be different events or I don't know if you guys do any like incubation with companies. You mentioned that you have like a team that is willing to help, you know, developers and such like that. So not sure if you wanted to dive into any more of that, any events you guys are putting on or meetups or what. Solana Foundation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At Labs, we don't do much. Like, but the <laughs> Solana Foundation does a lot. Like we, we try to build products and try to get them to market. And like we build everything open source and like give it away for devs and we hope that they use them in, in true open source way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but Solana Foundation has been rocking it at like the hacker houses and hackathons. So mm-hmm. um, this hackathon that they just launched, Summer Camp, had 7,000 registrations in I think seven days. And that's more than all the, the biggest hackathon that we had before Riptide just had 7,000 total. So just at the start, we've seen more devs show up. And this is after these big macro crashes, right? We see that like the biggest bullish sign for crypto is how many smart people are entering the space and start using these networks, start building their projects, start building, you know, like starting companies. Um, that's like the most important thing. Like it doesn't really matter how early we are, how broken the UX is. If you just have more smart people come in, all this stuff will get fixed. Yeah. <laughs> and awesome products will get built in. We see that happening, like regardless of what Macro is doing. So I think that to me is like kind of the most exciting thing. And go to Solana.com. There's a link to the hackathon. Sign up as a dev or as a non-dev and you can go into the Discord and meet folks. And a lot of these teams that are engineering focused, if you're really you know like if you if you're not an engineer they need help like because companies need non-engineers they need people that can do marketing bgd all this other shit so there's an opportunity for everyone basically to get involved um tony shoot them your resume (laughs) oh dude this is this is already too much i'm i'm excited about it um i there's one thing i guess work man like uh the Solana podcast was basically one of our DD tools. I would host it and I would get like projects we were trying to like work with. Like one of the things was like, like the first date was uh, just come, come do a podcast with exactly. us. Exactly. That's what that's <laughs> yeah. You know, all right, so I guess we'll have to talk after that. <laughs> Before then, I, I, there's, uh, I think one key event that really got me into Solana and I just want to know, I've thought about this a lot and I've never gotten to ask you face to face, but the connection with like SBF and FTX, like I'm, I'm sure, you know, that tweet, the, one of the most legendary tweets, sell me all your, uh, Solana at $3 and F off. Like, yeah, you know, from, from there you gained, that scares me <laughs> he, he, from there you gained like such a culty base. Cause you know, there's, there's a huge cult around him. And, and I know that carried over because that's how I found out about Solana. And I, I remember farming it on Radian back in the day when I had to, you know, use my VPN to get FTX international. But what's uh, the connection, I guess today is, does he ever come around and like give advice or do you ever have meetings with them and, and, and kind of see yeah. what you can do? Yeah, we do chat with him and his team like across a bunch of different things like Solana Pay for Saga. Like the goal there is that when you go buy your coffee, that you have a seamless experience using tokens to go buy it. But that means that Mm -hmm. they have to convert to some fiat thing. And like the first partner, the people that I think of is like, okay, can FTX, can we work with FTX? They already handled all the really hard part on the licensing and regulation and everything else and dealing with with like fiat so anytime there's opportunity for us to work together they're awesome because it's basically like in those early days they're really small and i had this conversation over a phone call with with sam it was like a couple conversations that were like two three hours long and we were just like what does crypto need it needs a shitload of throughput and this is how we're gonna build it and like the use case that I really wanted to see was like a central limit order book style exchange. And I have even offered like, what if we build this for you guys? They're like, what? No, we have <laughs> we built the best matching engine in the world. <laughs> Please. <laughs> 
And uh, that night we saw the transactions on the chain just spike through the roof. And we could see that their engineers were trying to slam it and test it. And then the next day they were like, okay, this seems to work. It, it's actually awesome. live and does what it says. So why don't we just go build it? <laughs> um, and that was how Serum got incubated. And that relationship was because there was a CEO that's in a fast growing small company that can make decisions quickly and really like focused everyone behind him to get them done. And that's really, really rare when you're dealing with big companies. Like basically, like if you're listening and you're a startup founder, one of the things that I learned in like while building Solana is that the bigger companies will talk to you and often waste your time. And they may seem really important because the brand is really big, but maybe the folks that you should be talking to are like a startup that's just one leg above you, right? Like they're just made it to that next leg on the ladder and they're growing really quickly and they know what they want and they can just go execute on it quickly. And you don't even need a lot of docs. You just need a handshake and like kind of trust that person. And that that's really what like is awesome about FTX. And there's a couple other companies like Jump, I would say is one of those too, even though they're much, they are much bigger, right? They're, they have like, you know, I think thousand plus employees and stuff, but they're able to like make these big decisions and go build and, and work really, really quickly. So Anatoly, I know you're a very busy man, so we don't want to take up too much more of your time here, but uh, I would love to just finish off here. You know, where do we see Solana five, 10 years, 15 years from now? Like, where do you see the state of crypto, but really, you know, alongside Solana, where do you see what, that going? Tough question. <laughs> no, what I hope it's like Linux that we've, there's enough products and builders building on top of it that, you know, it went from being like a, a bunch of weirdos to companies that are major contributors across different, like totally different use cases, you know, and that, that to me would be like a, an awesome success that we see folks that are like financial, like jump contributing to the same code base as magic Eden. That's purely like entertainment focused. Mm -hmm. uh, it means that we actually built a real operating system for the stuff that's generic and like performant and can serve many different use cases. That would be awesome. So this is where I hope Solana ends up. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for, for popping on here with pounding the table and, and Jake. For those watching here on YouTube, thank you for uh, making the introduction here to Anatoly. I think this is a, a fantastic conversation. I definitely want to continue to watch where Solana goes from here and hopefully stay in touch. Maybe a year or two from now, we can reconnect and walk through move. all the amazing things big that you guys money, have accomplished moves. through that time. That's so. Stop.